Hey guys, it's KK and welcome to Insider Scoop, a podcast where you join me every Monday for a new conversation about anything. If you're ready to get started, just keep listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. How are you? How is life? How is your day going? How is your week going? I hope everything is good with you all. In regards to my update, I am doing fine. School is good. I have an essay and like a few pieces of homework due tomorrow, but you know, we're all good. We're ready. And I'm excited to see what today's week will bring. But today I have a special guest joining me. He is someone who is very passionate about helping others improve their communication skills through presenting. He is the creator of the YouTube channel, Master Talk, where he talks all about public speaking. And he also runs an Instagram account where he briefly talks about public speaking and communicating. And with that being said, today I have Brendan joining me. Hello, Brendan. Hey, KK. How's it going? I'm good. Um, how, how are you, like, enjoying this quarantine time? Are you bored? Are you having fun? Are you enjoying the downtime? Like, what's going on? De- definitely making the most of it. I think that's the best way that I like to summarize it. It's all about reinvesting our time because a lot of us these days are saying, oh, you know, like 2020 is canceled. And I'm just like, what, can you like go back to a bank and get a loan for it? Like, no, you got to make the most of what you got. And that's why I like to live life. That is so true. I know when quarantine first started, I was so upset. I was like, I won't be able to go to school. I can't hang out with friends, can't hang out with family. This is going to be horrible. But at the same time, I was able to start so many new things and kind of just live life to the fullest, like you were saying. You know? That's the key. Absolutely. For sure. So for all of you listeners, as you know, I always have a question of the day. And since we're going to be talking about public speaking and communicating today, I thought it would be great for our question of the day to have, you know, be something around that topic. And with that being said, today's question of the day is, do you all have a fear of public speaking? Y'all can go ahead on over to our Instagram at official insider scoop to answer this question on our story. And now we are going to have our once upon a time. And if you don't know what that is, that is where I usually tell you all a story of something that has happened in my life. But today, since I have Brendan joining me, he, you know, wanted to step up to the plate today and wanted to tell us a funny, crazy, maybe even an embarrassing story of something that has happened in his life. So Brandon, the floor is all yours. Of course. Happy to share, KK. I was five years old and I started walking into a room and I couldn't understand what everyone was saying. They were speaking in different languages, talking in different things, being different people. As the five-year-old kid that I was, I stood there confused. My mother grabs my hand and she looks at me and she says, Brendan, you live in Montreal, Canada, which means you need to go to French school. I looked at her in a gaze. I said, French? What's that? Is that some sort of baguette or kind of (laughs) food that I need to buy? And she looks at me and she goes, no, son. It's a language you need to learn. If you want to thrive in the city, if you want to be successful one day, you need to learn the language. So I walked into class. Those strangers that I couldn't 
really understand ended up being other kids my age that spoke in a language I didn't understand either. So for the first 11 years of my life, not only was I presenting and interacting with kids that I wasn't comfortable with or that I wasn't comfortable with doing anyways, I had to present and converse in a language I didn't even know. And that was when my fear of public speaking or my fear for social anxiety and interaction started. You know, I'd be in grade two and I'd stand up in front of a class and the teacher would go, Brendan, what are you going to do in this presentation? I would always say, what? What is she trying to say to me? But anyways, I looked at the, the classroom and I would see those 30 kids just stare at me like it was some sort of morgue, like some cemetery. And I would just look at the students and say, bonjour. And that's how my public speaking journey started, KK. And from, from those turbulent environments and those difficult challenges that I've had to overcome my fear of public speaking, back to the question that you asked, I believe that if somebody could, like me can master public speaking, imagine what you could do with your life. That is that's so true. What a rude awakening, you know? That is, that is quite scary at the moment, I guess, first hearing your story. But it's amazing where you were able, you know, to, like, be now based off of your past that's so awesome so awesome of course. okay so now we are finished with our once upon a time now we are going to have our truth is where i usually answer some crazy crazy questions but today since i have brendan joining me we are both going to be answering these crazy questions together brandon are you ready to you know give some crazy answers to these very embarrassing cringy as some people may call it weird questions of course i mean public speaking is about performance anyway so let's do it i know okay so the first question is my daughter's friends chopped off all of her hair at a sleepover and thought it was a very funny prank my daughter is very upset what can i do about it right you know the, the first thing that i would recommend always is you know girls like roses most of them always like flowers. And that doesn't always apply to most girls, but I would say 99.75727% of cases, it definitely works. <laughs> so the first thing I would do is I would give my, the daughter in question, I almost said it was my daughter, definitely is that I don't have kids for the record, uh, <laughs> just so the record shows. Mm -hmm. I would give her a rose and, and that would calm her down. And then after that, I would just ask her a series of questions to figure out how did she arrive at the conclusion? You know, for me, it's always important, KK, to understand the thought process of somebody's actions before figuring out how to correct it. So I would make the daughter go through a seven-step process to figure out how she came to the conclusion that cutting her hair was somehow beneficial to her life and then figure out what to correct in that behavior. That would be my thought process. How about yourself? That's such a great way of approaching this. If I was you, if I was the mom in this situation, I would go to those girls and have a deep conversation with them. Maybe start, you know, getting defensive. Like, why did you cut my daughter's hair off? That is so unacceptable. How would you feel if she cut your hair off? I don't know. Like, that, that's sad. Like, I hope no one would ever do that to my daughter because they would see, like, another side. Like, they would see the fierce side of me, you know, because that's just so horrible. How would my daughter feel? My daughter would feel horrible. I know if I was the daughter in this situation – I would honestly never want to show my face again because, first of all, I probably didn't want my hair cut, and now I have to go rock a new hairstyle 
not even knowing if this will look good on me. But then second, my friends did this. Like, what? You can't trust many people in our world. That, oh my gosh. I don't know what I would do. That's so scary. So scary. So scary. Okay, next question. My 21-year-old son lives in his own apartment. Every weekend, he throws a party at his house. As his mother, it's bothering me. What should I do? So, so just so I understood the question, the mother and the son live in the same house and he throws a party every week? No, he has his own apartment and the mom, I guess, knows about the parties that he throws and she's concerned that he's always throwing parties. Oh, then my advice for the mother is to attend one of the putters. Go and enjoy. Go and understand your son's perspective. Go and see what, he is, what life he's trying to live. And, exactly. you know, was, and then live, live life to the fullest. That would be my take. I mean, she could enjoy life also because clearly he's having a good time. She's yeah. out about it. <laughs> Meanwhile, she's stressing out about it. What would I tell this mother? I would tell this mother maybe to just calm down as long as he's still successful. And if he can afford his own apartment, he's clearly, you know, still going to work and doing well. Um, But maybe just calm down, maybe even have a conversation with him, like let him live his life. But at the same time, maybe voice your opinion in the situation. But I don't think she needs to be concerned at all because he's just living his life. He's 21. He's still very young. He's just enjoying life, you know? I'm with you. Okay, our last question. Are you ready for it? Let's do it. This one's really funny. When I read this, I was like, poor baby, but at the same time, this is kind of hilarious. How do I stop this? My seven-year-old daughter thinks it's okay to punch my one-year-old baby daughter, her baby sister. She even pushed the baby and kicked the crib so she would fall. My husband said no spanking on her. Brendan. What do you think this mother should do? What do you think should happen to maybe the daughter? Like, what, what are your opinions on this question? Wait, are they all in the part of the same family? Like, is that mother, is that her daughter? Like, the seven-year-old who's punching, like, her siblings? Mm-hmm. Or is that, like, a different family? They're in one big family. The, se- the oldest daughter, I'm assuming, who's, seven-year-old, who's seven. I don't know if they have other kids. But the seven-year-old keeps punching the young baby who's one. And she even kicked the crib with an intention of getting the baby to fall. Ah, this kind one's violent. fascinating. Kind of violent. I'm, I'm going to give a very meta answer. I think, I think the issue is the parents, not the kid. In the sense that if the kid is seven years old, what she, what she does, and this is what I think most humans miss, is whatever she does is a reflection of how her parents behave. So especially at that age. So if she's, she's hitting or punching something, there's something that the parents are doing wrong that is inciting this behavior that is basically telling her that this is how you should be interacting emotionally with others. So I would, I would double check what the parents are doing and how they're interacting with each other. Like, are they fighting with each other while the, the kids are watching them? Or how are they interacting with each other? Do they seem like a happy family? And I would just reassess from there. Because I, I, I never think children are bad in nature. It's always about what they're conditioned to learn. That's honestly a great perspective. I didn't even think of that when I first saw the question. When I saw the question at first, I was like, your kids are crazy or your daughter is crazy. You need to give her a spanking. But now you've just opened my eyes to a whole different perspective and view. And I honestly agree with you. I really do. But You make me know. sound like Gandhi. This is hilarious. <laughs> you opened me up to a whole new world. I was I like, mean, okay. You opened my eyes. You opened my eyes. I 
genuinely was not thinking of that perspective. But I, I appreciate that. But definitely, I guess in this situation, you definitely need, do need to check how you, the parents, are interacting with each other because, like you said, they learn from their parent. Um, and if your child continues to do it, even if you're not, if you and your husband aren't, you know, fighting and all, maybe consider giving her a spanking because, you know, spankings, I think, work. They might, they might be painful, but they work, you know? They work. Trust me. <laughs> I'll, I'll just take your word for it. <laughs> you should. You should. You Go should. for it. <laughs> Okay, Brendan. So I hope we had fun. I hope you had fun answering some of those crazy questions because I know I did because they're super crazy and super like weird. Um, now we're going to have our rundown where I usually talk about any topic. But once again, since I have Brendan joining me today, we are going, going to be talking about public speaking and just communicating in general. So Brendan, are you ready? Let's do it. Okay, so I know I mentioned earlier that, you know, you obviously are into public speaking and you love, you know, helping others improve their public speaking skills. But would you mind telling our audience a little bit more about what you do and like your goal? Yeah, absolutely. So, so my name is Brandon. I'm the founder of Master Talk. It's a YouTube channel I started to help the world master the art of communication public speaking. And the goal was to help everyone on the show get better at communication. Like when I was in university, college, and high school, and I wanted to learn public speaking, all the content on YouTube was given by really, really, really old men. And they didn't really, they wasn't really relatable to young people. So that's why I started making content on public speaking to help the next generation of leaders get better at communication. That's what I do in a nutshell. I love that. That is so awesome. And I feel like there's not many people out there that, you know, are passionate about helping others improve their public speaking. I think the most, you know, I guess advice that you get in regards to speaking in front of others is like from maybe your English class, history class, when you're presenting essays, but you're never learning those, you know, big skills and the things that will help you in the future. So I love that. Um, I wanted to cater this conversation for like, you know, teenagers in high school, college students, and anyone who, you know, just presents a lot or has a fear of that, fear of presenting. So um, the first question I have for you is I think something that many people can relate to. Um, and, you know, when you're not prepared. So with that being said, how can someone, you know, present a presentation when they're not prepared? I know I've been mm. in that boat, you know, when I didn't have enough information or I just didn't know what to say. I went up, you know, to the front blank. What would you have to say about that? Right. It's kind of like the whole idea of we're at a wedding and the best man comes up to me or you or the best bride or I guess the best woman. <laughs> they go, I'm tired. You give the speech. And you're kind of just like, well, you didn't ask me to prepare. So exactly. you raise your glass and you look at everyone in panic. Yeah, so how do you get through that? So, so the way that I explain this is uh, this, this sentence, and then we can go into the exercise. The sentence is, called, is the following. I don't know what I'm going to say next as much as anyone else on this call or who's listening to this podcast, but through my way of speaking, I'm going to convince you that I do so that with some practice, you will too. So the idea with impromptu speech is that since you don't know what you're going to say, you need to communicate as if you know exactly what you're going to say. That's how you convince your audience that you've prepared the entire time. Now I'll give an exercise to demonstrate this. It's called the random word exercise. So essentially what you do is somebody gives you a random word and you have to create a presentation out of thin air. So KK, I'll give you the honors. Give me any word that you would like. Any word. Dog. Dog, sure. So what I need to do with dog is I need to create a presentation out of thin air. So here I go. 
you know, a lot of people tend to think that living life, you know, just having some of the necessities, you know, whether it's food, shelter, water is enough. If I'm being perfectly honest, companionship is what makes life worth living. Not just your kids or your family or your friends, but a different kind of companionship, a companion that's so loyal, that will stick by you, that will always let you pet them, that will always keep your spirits high. And no, I'm not talking about cats or snakes, though some people do have them as pets, but rather a dog. Dogs come in many shapes and sizes. They mean different things to different people, but they're also so loyal and so powerful. Everyone knows this when you have a dog. Sure, there's a lot more work, but there's also a lot more fulfillment. The way that they wag their tail when you give them a new treat and the way that you walk them and they enjoy that companionship that, that's the same way that you do. Dogs are a man's best friend for a reason. And that's exactly why in this week's presentation, I'm gonna talk about the history of dogs, why dogs matter so much in our society and why you should own one today, even if I don't have one myself. So that's like an example of just completely saying something randomly based on just a single word. And there's three things I wanna emphasize with this exercise. One, never compare yourself to me. I've literally done this exercise 2000 times. I'm a slave on podcasts. People just ask me to do it and I have to do it even when I don't wanna practice. Number two is this idea that all I'm asking for is five minutes of your day. Every day when you wake up, you pick five random words, lamppost, a table, a flooring, ceiling, and then from these words, you, you create one minute presentations for those five words and you do that every single day. If you do that for a year, you'll have done the exercise as many times as I have. And finally, number three, understand that this is a mind shift. Right now, we're all scared of public speaking. We see this as a chore, as a responsibility. But if we can talk about hippos for a minute, if we can talk about nail polish for a minute, if we can talk about ventilators for a minute, when we go back to our presentations in school and university or the impromptu speech at the wedding, that presentation will go from this, ugh, I don't want to do it, to a joke. That was amazing. When you just started that presentation, I was like, oh my gosh. That's <laughs> a great piece of advice to anyone. And I'm definitely going to try that tomorrow. Definitely. Oh my gosh, I'm still in shock. I'm still in shock. That was absolutely amazing. And, and KK, you're not trying that tomorrow. You're trying that right after this call. <laughs> okay, I will. I will. I will, for sure. Um, the next question I have for you is, how should we prepare for presentations so we never, you know, have to be on the spot when presenting? Right. So, so here's the issue, especially since it seems that most of your group of people are listening are in university or in school. So, and the issue uh, with that level is you're always presenting different projects and different presentations. Let's say like right now, what, what classes do you have KK in school? I have English, I have history, um, Spanish, math. Okay, awesome. So you got all these things and you probably got presentations for most of them, maybe not math, but for yeah. all of your other subjects, you got different presentations. For so sure. how most of us prepare, exactly. When we're in university or college or high school, what happens? is we don't tend to focus too much attention on our presentations because we have so many and they're all of different subjects. So you got your history presentation on Wednesday, you got your 
English presentation on Friday. So the second that your history presentation is done on Wednesday, you throw it in the garbage, you focus on the English one. That's why we're not getting better at public speaking because we keep changing our topics. The best way to master communication, surprisingly, is to actually only present one presentation many times. Think about your favorite sport that you like to play. Think about even the, the way that you type on your keyboard, the way that because we're faster typers now, because we're just used to the same keyboard over and over again, right? Or even just a piano, it's all the same analogy. So what I advise people to do is the best way to practice public speaking is to say, what is one topic that I care about, that I'm passionate about sharing with people, that I actually care to present relative to the history stuff that we learned in school? And how do we do, or how do we make a presentation around that one topic so that we could present it many times? So as an example for you, KK, your own podcast. If you make a presentation on what the podcast is, what you're trying to do with the scoop, and how you're trying to share a message out there and you explain it to other people, that is not only beneficial to your audience, but it's also a presentation you could do repeatedly. You can present to one group of students, you can present to another group of students. And this is something you can do forever versus your history presentation that you only do one time. That makes so much sense. That I think that would help many, you know, teenagers, maybe even college students, you know, I guess be better in, you know, preparing and everything. That's amazing. Um, the next question I had for you is, I think many people struggle on how to grab their audience's attention while they're presenting, you know, making sure that your presentation is engaging. I know I've struggled with that before also, not knowing what to say to make it entertaining, to make them actually want to listen to me and not turn their head to read a book or listen to music. Um, with that being said, how can we make sure that our presentations are engaging and people actually want to listen to them? Absolutely, KK. So, so to build on this idea that we have so many presentations to give in so many different subjects, it's no wonder that we have so much trouble engaging people because the only question on our minds as we're preparing for the English presentation that we waited until the last minute for is we're not talking, we're not thinking about engaging our audience. We're thinking about what to put in the damn slides, what content we got to do, because we got to present this thing in 10 hours, we have nothing ready. And that's the issue. What I recommend people to do is not to worry about engagement so much at the beginning, but rather find that one topic that they can present a lot. So what happens is, let's take you as an example, you know, you've been presenting on this podcast for a while now, let's say it's the 20th time that you've presented and given a presentation to a group of students to explain what your podcast is about. So what happens after the 20th time you've done it? We don't care about the content anymore because now you know the content inside and out. But now you start to ask yourself a new set of questions. And those questions are things like, what emotions am I conveying here? How am I coming off as a speaker? Does my audience actually care about my, my presentation? These questions you'll never ask yourself in an English presentation because you honestly don't care. You just want to get a good grade and move on. Whereas, but that's why I highly recommend picking a topic you actually care about. And this doesn't need to be a podcast. It could be a, a passion for dance that you have. Let's say uh, somebody who's listening right now used to be a ballerina or somebody was a runner or someone likes to cook dishes and healthy meals. It doesn't matter what the topic is as long as it adds value to people and it's something you're, you want to teach others. For sure, for sure. So like... Um, if so if someone's doing let's say uh, um, school presentation and they have like a lot of information to prepare and you know they're presenting it to the class 
you think they should have, you know, like games or activities or fun facts involved in it to make it even more entertaining on top of what you just said? Or do you think they should just yeah. kind of go with the flow? No, absolutely. I love, I love what you mentioned. There. I, I guess it really depends on the subject. But I think one thing that I love to push is pick the tools that work for you. So, for example, I would never tell someone who is very timid and shy to start telling jokes if they don't want to be funny. But at the same time, I'll never look at the funny guy and say, you should stop saying jokes. You should be a lot more serious. I, I, think, I think the balance here is figuring out who you are as an individual and what tools work for you. So as you've noticed from my speaking style, I'm a, I'm a good mix between professionalism and funny because I just yeah. like being corny sometimes. <laughs> but, I'm also not, but I also don't like being sarcastic because it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work for me, right? Or, uh, I don't know, saying quotes in the middle of a podcast. Actually, I do do that quite a bit. But, but I meant the idea of, like, there's things that I can do that I'm comfortable with. And there's things that I'm just like, eh, you know, like, I don't want to do this, right? So it's all about picking and choosing. What, what tools in the toolbox work for you? For sure. You were talking about how, you know, it's great to know what type of, you know, speaker and communicator you are. If someone is unsure of, you know, what type of speaker or communicator they are, how can they, you know, find out what they are? Obviously, people act different around different groups of people, you know, with, whether they're with their friends, with their family, in front of an audience. How can people determine what type of you know type of style they have and how can they improve it if they want you know to improve their way of communicating yeah that's a super sharp question thanks for asking that i i would say for me in my journey like just to give people context i'm probably around the same age as everyone else listening like i started coaching communication when i was 19 and i started uh, master talk when i was 22 and i'm 24 now and, and the way that i think about it is the way that i figured out my public speaking styles by copying other people I looked at other speakers that I liked, people like Scott Harrison, Seth Godin, Gary Vaynerchuk, Tony Robbins, Mel Robbins, and I would copy the little things that I liked about everybody that I felt flowed well with me. And over time, I developed a style that was unique to me. But the point that I'm driving here is back to Picasso's quote, you know, gr you know good artists copy, but great artists steal. Right? So don't be afraid to steal one or two things that you like from each of those speakers. And over time, as you study the greats and you start implementing what they do, you'll eventually become great at communication too, in your own way. For sure, for sure. That's, that's amazing piece of advice. Um, another question I had for you was, you know, in the mix of a presentation, let's say you mess up, you have a, like a long, uh, or, or a pause for a long period of time. How can you prevent those situations from happening and just keep on going, even if you know have a, even if you have a small mess up? Yeah, absolutely. I think the way that I see this is repetition is excellent. So let's say, for example, you you, you apply that one topic strategy and you present the same thing seventy five times. When it's the third time you're presenting that thing or the first time, you're definitely going to make a lot of mistakes, right? You're going to be like, oh crap, I had to say that um too long, that pause was too short. But after you've done it like 50 times, you know all of your pauses, all of your, the way that you're speaking ins and outs. So the chances of you making that mistake decrease dramatically. Right? So basically what I'm saying for everyone who's listening is don't get lost in the small things. It's okay if you, if you, if you make a mistake with the um or the ah or the pause because public speaking is like trying to juggle 18 balls at the same time. You're getting your eye contact, you got to get your audience mastery and all that stuff. 
So instead, what I would challenge our viewers to think about is how do we juggle one of these balls one by one? So how do we start with one ball, eye contact, and then eye contact and feeling more confident, and then eye contact, feeling more confident, etc. And before we know it, we'll be juggling all 18 at the same time. That's amazing. Like you were saying, taking it step by step. That's definitely the way, you know, to improve your skill by practicing over and over again. Um, the next thing I wanted to dive into was, you know, fear of presenting. I think many people have a fear of presenting, whether that's a small audience or a big audience, whether that's their friends or their family. Um, so the first question I have in regards to our fears in presenting is, obviously you said repetition and everything, but when we're nervous, how can we make sure that we keep that same eye contact, that we project our voices? So, you know, no one can assume that we're scared. Obviously you said, like I said earlier, repetition and repetition, but if you're, let's say, a first-time presenter, you know, or you don't present that much at all, how can they make sure that they keep their eye in contact and have their voice high? Yeah, for sure. So for the eye contact piece, there's an exercise I recommend that's excruciatingly painful but very effective. And the exercise is to look at somebody that you love for three minutes and don't say anything. This is what we call long stares. It's very hard for most humans to maintain eye contact. And you can still blink, by the way. It's not a staring contest. It's more about just sitting in the silence. It's really hard for most people to do, but it's also what makes you a great communicator, a great conversationalist, and above all, a great public speaker. So I would recommend that a lot, uh, especially like, you know, if you're a girl and you go up to a guy that you like, you can stare at them for three minutes <laughs> in the eyes without making it seem awkward and opposite is also true. I think, I think it's, it's a lot more beneficial than you think. Like I coach a lot of IT because I guess to give you an idea here. And I tell them to go up to their wives and do the same thing. They can't even hold the, the gaze for three minutes. So you could, so it's, I know it's, it's, it sounds ridiculous, but it, it, it helps you a lot with that confidence part. And the second piece with the nerves, what I would say, nerves happen to all of us, including me. I, I'm nervous all the time when I give a presentation to people I haven't spoken to yet. It's, it's something that will always exist. I think the better question you need to ask yourself is how are you going to channel those nerves in a way that makes you an exceptional speaker? And one question you can ask yourself to determine this is the following. How would the world change if you were an incredible speaker? If you can clearly define that world and you don't just say job or promotion, but you say something like, oh, well, there's a nonprofit that I care about and I want to raise some money for that. Oh, there's this conversation, this tough conversation I need to have with the family member. Public speaking is essential so I can get my points across effectively. If you can really get to the granular reasons why you want to master public speaking and how the world would change if you were an incredible speaker in the same way if KK as she's getting better at communication, you're, you know, you're on your way to being that speaker, you'll be able to share your message with a lot more people, right? So it's about getting clear on that why, and it'll be much easier for you to speak in general. For sure. I guess kind of hopping off of that topic, slowing down our voices. I know I sometimes struggle with slowing down when I'm speaking with others, whether that's in front of an audience or just with my friends and family in general. I just am a fast talker. How can we make sure that we slow down our speech? You know, obviously we were talking about eye contact and projecting your voice, but how can we make sure that we don't speak too fast? Yeah, there's actually an easy trick to this. So let's break down why we speak too fast to begin with. The reason is because 
the way that we perceive presentations and conversations is completely different. So think of the following scenario. If you're having dinner with somebody that you really care about, someone that you spent the last couple of years getting to know, and you haven't seen them in a long time, you don't want the conversation to end. You're excited to see them. You want it to last several hours. You're going to eat your meal in a very slow-like experience. You're going to enjoy the moment that you're in. But the opposite is not true. When you're in your presentation, your goal is simple. Get in and get out as quickly as possible. It's kind of like you're in, a, you're in the military. You're trying to get in. You're trying to raid really quickly and then get out of there before uh, somebody else finds you. So I think, I think the idea is we need to start shifting our mindset from public speaking being some sort of attack or some sort of, uh, uh, you know, the sprint somewhere to a moment that we enjoy, to a conversation, to, to, to a moment where time slows down. And one way you can do this, because I like comparing public speaking to getting a cup of coffee with somebody that we love, is a mental trick that my clients use is they put a cup of coffee in front of them to remind themselves to slow down, to remind themselves that public speaking is a cup of coffee. It's a conversation, not, uh, not a drill sergeant exercise. For sure, you were, for sure. I definitely, I definitely see where you're coming from. You were saying a cup of coffee and just slowing down and think of it, thinking of it as a conversation. I guess now I wanted to ask you, do you think presentations, obviously, you're presenting something and you're giving information, but do you think instead of, you know, just giving a bunch of information and giving your opinion on it, you should make it more of like a casual conversation? And if so, in what ways can people make sure that their presentations don't just, you know, isn't just them giving a bunch of facts, but rather just like a cup of coffee, as you call it? Right. So, so I think the way that we need to look at this angle is in the sense of, Let's say, you know, going to that analogy with your, your, the friend that you haven't seen in a couple of years. After the conversation is over, chances are in that specific scenario, you're never going to see them again for like another couple of years because they, they just work in a different country and they do other things. So because of that, you want to make sure of a couple of things. The first one is that you don't waste their time talking about small things, but you focus on the big things. Like, did you get married? Did you go to school? Did you get this amazing job? Like you, you talk about the big events. Right? You focus on the big stuff. But the second part is also true in the sense that you want to make sure that the end of the coffee, at the end of the dinner, at the end of the meal, that the conversation is fruitful for both of us. So at the end of the day, if in a presentation, all you're going to do is spit facts for two hours or 20 minutes and spit the facts as quickly as you can, well, nobody's really enjoying the moment. No one's actually retaining what you're saying. So, so the thing that I'm driving at is slowing down so people understand what you're saying, like you would do in a meal, but also making sure to emphasize the most important parts of what you have to say so that people retain it, enjoy it, and pass it on to other people. Making it a memorable experience, for sure. Um, the next thing I wanted to dive into were questions. I think many people, you know, when they're presenting, they either they're receiving questions and maybe they're asking questions to their audiences. And with that being said, what would you say to someone who wants to know how they can answer their audience's questions on the spot? You know, I think many right. people when they're presenting, like I was saying, they'll receive questions. And if they're not prepared and you know, you most of the time they don't know the questions that they're going to be asked. How can they answer them on the spot? 
Absolutely. So there's actually an easy trick that I do with people that you can do with your friends and peer groups, the people that are listening, is what I call a question drill. So a question drill is simple. Before any presentation I give, I get a group of people who are not very nice and who give really good feedback uh, to drill me on questions for three hours. So they just ask me questions. One of them goes, tell me about this, tell me about that, do this, do that, do that. So they're really harsh. But what happens is this bulletproofs your presentation. Because now if you've been asked 300 questions, well, it doesn't matter what the audience asks you because you'll always have an answer. And this podcast conversation is the same. Besides the weird questions that we talked about at the beginning, you know, because at the end of the day, it's not the first time that you're, that I'm being asked public speaking related questions. Like all the questions you've mentioned, it's probably the 40 or 50th time that I'm answering this question. It's just on a different show this time. And that that analogy applies in your own presentations. Because if somebody drills you much harder than the actual questions you get, those questions, once again, become a joke. Once again, I've never thought of it from that perspective either. Opening my eyes many different ways today, Brendan. (laughs) That's why I'm here, KK. Many different ways. Um, The next question I had in regards to questions also, but this one isn't from the person who's giving a presentation, but rather when you're just having a normal conversation with others. I know I sometimes struggle with this, asking a question, and then I don't get the answer I want. But how can we make our questions straightforward so we receive the answers that we want in one try versus, you know, having to ask many other backup questions to make sure that we receive the answer that we're looking for? Yeah, I think a good way of thinking about this is more of an art rather than a science in the sense that sometimes when you ask a question, you might not always get the right answer. I mean, this even happens to to me all the time when I talk to people and I say, and I ask them stuff and I was like, oh crap, I asked them the wrong question. So I think feedback and in, in getting that loop is important. But I think the second part of that is to always be constantly curious. If you're always spending your time answering questions yourself, it's much easier for you to ask them. So some questions that are a bit difficult to get right, but uh, are challenging and uncomfortable, which means they're effective, is the following questions. Things like, what are you pretending not to know? If you had all the money in the world, how would you spend your time? If you were to write your own funeral speech, what would you want it to say? Those types of questions are very difficult to answer. But if you can answer them for yourself, it gives you a lot more clarity on who you are and how you communicate because it forces you to write answers to your own questions. And that way, that ability for you to clarify your own thoughts allows you to ask better questions to other people. So let's say, for example, in this very conversation, if I was interviewing you, KK, I would ask you questions like, where does KK come from? Why, where was the origin of that name? Who was the first person who called you that? And how did it make you feel? Or things like, what are the goals of this podcast? What are you trying to achieve with it? What do you, who do you think is the person you're trying to help the most? These questions are thoughtful for a reason, KK, because I try and understand the other person on the other side of the line. But the only way to do that effectively is by understanding yourself at that level too. So do you think it's more of um, presenting? No, let me restart. Do you think it's before you even ask other que- others questions, it's better to understand your way of communicating and the best way, and if you can even answer the questions yourself? That is part of it, but the other part of it is that internal curiosity. So for example, if you're asking a question, there's something you want to know. And if there's something you want to know, you need to ask yourself, why do you want to know that information? So I don't know, let's say, 
I want to know what your great, let's have your career counselor and we're trying to figure out what, what, what job you should be doing, what profession you should be doing. So one question that I would ask you is to figure out how you're doing in school. What grades are you good at? What, what types of subjects that I'm getting? So notice I'm crafting questions in the process because I'm saying, okay, if I am KK's career counselor and our goal today, goal, having the goal is important, is to figure out what she wants to do. Now the next thing I need to figure out is what are the what is the information that I need to get a better answer, to, to get the conclusion, to get the result that we want. So one of those things could be grades, second thing could be things that you're passionate about, things that you like to do, uh, and then third are things that you're really good at. So, and brainstorming with other people helps you as well. And then when you figure out the information, the only thing left to do is to ask the question. So it asks you things like, KK, what are you passionate about? KK, what do you care about? KK, what, what are grades are you doing well in? What subjects do you excel in? Things like that. So making sure that you understand the purpose of why you're asking the questions in the start and then diving in deeper into that subject. Absolutely. That is amazing. Once again, Brandon, for the third time today, opening my eyes for a different perspective. Um, I now wanted to dive into something that I saw on your Instagram, which I personally found so interesting and entertaining. Um, it also, I think, was on your YouTube, but I thought it was so crazy how you were able to pull from karaoke, you know, how karaoke <laughs> was able to help you improve your public speaking skills. For anyone out there who loves singing, who loves, you know, just having fun through the mic, Brendan was able to learn a lot from his karaoke experience. So Brendan, would you mind expanding on that and telling me and the audience how your karaoke experience helped you improve how you um, presented to others? Yeah, absolutely. And as you can tell, I'm a pretty peculiar character. 22-year-old kid starting a YouTube child public speaking and his lives in his mother's basement, uh, yet can karaoke in this many languages. <laughs> Anyways, the short, yeah, I guess I'm just as bizarre as the questions you asked before. Uh, no, Brendan, I, pro <laughs> I promise you you're not. I, I think those people top you way more, and I think you should be proud of that. If you reach that level, if you reach that level, oof, I don't know what to say about that one. <laughs> I, okay, fair enough. Well, anyways, the short story on karaoke is I, I speak three languages, but I can karaoke in eight. So for the purposes of this conversation, I speak English, French, and Tamil but I can also karaoke in Spanish, Korean, Japanese, Mandarin, and Hindi. Uh, actually, oh, yeah. I good. yeah, no, it's kind of crazy. So I what happened, yeah. Languages. What? That's insane. Yes, yeah, so I don't, just so we're on the same page, I don't understand any of the words in those languages. I, I speak English, French, and Tamil. So those three languages I'm perfectly fluent in, and I can have conversations in. But the other five, no, I can just sing in the language. So what happened? Basically what happened, I used to play this video game called League of Legends, and it's like this video game that a lot of Asian people tend to play. Not to be offensive or anything, it's just, it's just the demographic. So, and, and obviously I'm not even being offensive, I am Asian, so who cares, I'm South Asian, so whatever. But it's the point that I'm making is, um, a lot of these, a lot of my Asian friends love karaoke. Like, instead of going to bars, and going to like, American events, I guess, to have fun, they would go sing songs. So they invited me a couple of times and I always kept saying no. I was like, that seems so bizarre. Why would I go sing? I'm not good at singing. And they'd always reply with, no, Brenda, it's not about knowing how to sing. It's just having fun with it. So I went once and I fell in love with it. I was obsessed. And as they started switching languages, I, I kind of had this personal vendetta. Like I needed to know how to sing. I wanted to sing along with them. So I started practicing at home 
And what I realized, the unintended effect of, of course, after I started Master Talk, I later learned that it was because of karaoke that helped me with my pronunciation. So as you probably could tell, KK, you know, when I speak English, my, my pronunciation is really good. But if yes. I switch languages, donc quand je parle français, like that was French, you notice that like the accent doesn't change. But even if I say something like in Spanish, like Ohio gozaimasu, genki desu ka, which is hi, how are you? There's no accent either, right? So how, how does that make any sense? I don't have, I'm not from Japan. I don't speak Japanese. It, it, this is all practice. So it really helps you with your accent. So basically the advice for people is karaoke is a fun way to practice pronunciation. And a lot of people are listening are probably finding that odd, but let me explain why. It is so excruciatingly painful to wake up every morning for an hour and to practice words. I like apples. KK likes to go to school. Like you'll just get bored after three days. You're like, this sucks. But if you try and practice songs that you actually like to listen to in languages you don't understand, like in my case, Spanish is, is a language I try and sing a lot in. I don't speak Spanish, but it's a lot easier for me to pronounce words in English and French when I go back to the languages I actually know how to speak. So that's something you can take away as a, as a learning. For sure. So would you say that people should start singing and, you know, going to karaoke parties? Absolutely. I mean, I've made, I've made videos on dancing, karaoke, theater. I'm kind of an odd bunch in that way. Even if I, I went to business school and I majored in accounting, so I guess we're all multidimensional. But I think the idea is, um, I think the key is you want to practice public speaking in an entertaining way that works for you. I think the issue with most people is we see public speaking like a chore, like doing the dishes. So we don't, we don't see the fun and the impact that we can make with it. And my master talk is an attempt uh, for me to, to showcase more of that. Definitely. And I love the whole concept. It's so amazing. The next thing I wanted to you to talk to me about was you made a video explaining how you believe fake it until you make it is a bad piece of advice. I think many of the listeners listening to this along with me would think that's the best piece of advice because, you know, just keep on going. But can you explain to me why you think this is a bad and like, like false piece of advice? Because I am curious to hear your point of view. Of course. I'm very contrarian, as you can probably tell, like most people, most conventional wisdom I tend to disagree with. But uh, in the context of fake it till you make it, uh, what, what you mentioned there, KK, was a bit different. So, Fake it till you make it is very different from being relentless. So being relentless means, you know, being persistent, not giving up at the face of adversity. But fake it till you make it means on, the object, on an objective basis means you're essentially, you, you're pretending to be somebody that you're not. That's what fake it till you make it is. And I would argue for some people, that's actually a very effective strategy. But that, that number of people is very small. So think professional actors, think uh, people who love theater, think people whose passion uh, is to play other people. But the issue is most human beings don't like that, don't want to do that, and are frankly get damaged emotionally because of that, by listening to what other people want them to do, by forcing them to go to parties, even if they'd rather stay at home and read a book. Like pretending to be other people is just not a good way of living life. Because, and it's, it's showcased by the fact that most people are miserable because of trying to be someone that they're not. So what's the, what's the counter, what's the countermeasure here? Uh, I'm a big fan of celebrating the small wins. Uh, I think that if you can acknowledge the fact that you can juggle one or two balls at the same time in public speaking, that gives you the confidence to juggle a third one. 
and then a fourth one, and then a fifth one. And then by the time that you know it, you're juggling 18. I mean, bringing back my story into context from the beginning of the show, I came from a background where I was presenting in a language I didn't even know. So if I could go to speaking in English and presenting in it effectively, I'm sure everyone on this call can do it. It's just about celebrating those small wins incrementally over time and saying, hey, instead of faking it until you make it, how about we face it until we make it instead? Yes, I love that. You should make a shirt that says, <laughs> face it till you make it. Brendan, ma master ma talk. Mastertalk.ca master slash merch. Check it out today. I'm just kidding. There's no merch. I know for sure. <laughs> I bet you we would definitely get people that would buy it, especially since it's a different way of looking at things. Um, but definitely face it till you make it. I have to start you saying that and thinking about that. I love that. Love it. Um, Brendan, the next thing I wanted to ask you was about your master talk and your YouTube channel and your Instagram account. Obviously you started it a few years ago because you know, you were inspired to just start helping others. But why do you think it's important for people to learn and improve their math and, and, and improve their public speaking skills. And how do you think that your platform is helping them do that? Right. You, you know, what I always like to say, KK, is public speaking has nothing to do with presentations. It has everything to do with everything. So what I mean by that quote is that public speaking is the tough conversations that you have with the people that you love when you tell them that you want to be an artist and not an engineer. Uh, public speaking is having a dinner with somebody that you enjoy speaking to, whether it's a friend, a lover, or anybody. Public speaking is convincing people around you to go to a restaurant that you'd like to eat, go to a project, or work on something that you care about. Public speaking is everything. And the better that you are at communication, the easier it is to share what that matters to you with the world. And that's why I'm a big believer in what I'm doing with Master Talk, because I want to be the bridge for every single person that has an idea worth sharing and can't afford a speech coach to get there. And by doing so, my hope is that after I die, people can learn from me forever. I love that. Definitely. I think I definitely learned something from our conversation and I hope our audience has too. Um, the next question I had for you was, where do you see your Instagram and YouTube in like the next year or two? Because obviously... I think many people can learn a lot of valuable information from you. So where do you think you'll be? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the goal is I'm pretty aggressive. I think a good way of thinking about it is I'm aggressively patient in the sense that it's all about understanding the next 10 years and, and playing a patient game, but also being very aggressive with tactics. So things that I do include, you know, I've, I have a goal this year of guesting on a thousand podcasts and I've probably crossed uh, the 300 mark now. So I'm trying my best to, to expand my reach in that way. That's one. You'll Second one is the people. That. I appreciate that, KK. Another side of it is, uh, you know, messaging people one-on-one, -on -one, sharing the YouTube. Because I think what most people miss with social media is it's 95% about promotion and 5% about content, provided your content is exceptional. Because the issue that I have right now with the channel is it's not the content. My content's second to none in the, in the niche that I'm in anyways. But the issue is nobody knows who I am. So I have to be very aggressive with marketing, whether it's, you know, get it, talking to people one-on-one, -on -one, you know, giving them advice so they watch the videos, things like that. So it's, it's a lot of head-to-head -head combat. I think that's one way of thinking about it. But the goal is definitely one day to be the number one speaking coach or rather having the number one public speaking channel in the world on YouTube. So let's see, let's see how that goes. 
you'll definitely get there, especially if you know you have your goal and you just keep on working towards it. Definitely. And you have so many valuable points to share with others, and it's very inspirational, honestly. Um, the last question I have for you, Brendan, to close out our whole conversation today is this. What three pieces of advice should the listeners leave with today? Yeah, I, I think uh, to make things more fun and more simple so people can take away something, I'll leave you with one, which is my favorite quote of all time. And okay. that quote, because I want people to remember it, it's the following. Be insane or be the same. If you want to be like everyone else, that's totally fine. But if you made it this far to the conversation, you have some interest in what I'm saying for a reason that I don't understand, then the only thing left to tell you is the reason and how I got here. Yeah, sure, all my tactics are great. Everything I do is, is sure effective or not. But I think the, the biggest reason I got to where I am is because I mastered the art of insanity. If you want to do something great, you need to do something different. You need to do the things that people aren't willing to do. You need to ask the questions that most people aren't willing to ask. Don't you find it odd that a 22-year-old kid started a YouTube channel on public speaking communication tips? Not on vlogging, not on comedy, not on you know a vlogging comedy channel, but rather to share tips in a suit, in a suit shop on how to master the art of public speaking. Then this kid went on to coach CEOs of companies that you would probably be familiar with at the age of 23, but he also lives in his mother's basement, doesn't own a car, doesn't plan on moving out of his mother's house until he's 30, and isn't in a relationship. So you could look at me and say, isn't Brendan so bizarre? You're a grown man. You should go and live somewhere else. You make really good money. You're so bizarre. And that's the point. If all of the decisions that you make only make sense to the only person that matters, which is you, you're probably making the right decision. Wow. Love that. I'm speechless. I'm honestly speechless. That's a <laughs> great... ironic. It's the public speaking episode, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. I, I hope you all, the listeners, were able to take something from that quote that Brandon just shared with us. And um, that was our last question of the day I had for you, Brandon. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed having you. I learned so, so much. And once again, audience, I hope you did too. I'm still in shock. Oh my gosh. I learned so much today and I'm definitely going to start using the pieces of encouragement and words that you said today very soon. Guys, make sure to go subscribe to Brendan's YouTube channel, Master Talk, and also follow his channel on, follow his channel, follow his Instagram account um, at Master Your Talk. And Brendan, is there any last pieces of words that you want to say to our audience? Yeah, I guess I'll leave you off with a book recommendation. That's probably a good way to end. Okay, I recommend like a book called, yeah, sure. It's Thirst by Scott Harrison. Scott's a, a personal hero of mine. I think he's built a, an amazing nonprofit through Charity Water. And he's a really smart guy in terms of public speaking, storytelling, and branding. So I highly recommend the read for those who are looking for something to, to crack open at night. Definitely. People, make sure you go check that out. Make sure you go check the book out. And once again, Brandon, thank you so much. Make sure that you all tune in for another episode of Insider Scoop next Monday. And don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review, and follow our Instagram at Official Insider Scoop. And once again, I'll see you all next Monday. Goodbye.